So today we're going to finish up our Better Together series. We've been spending nine weeks talking about what it means to have real fellowship, to have community with other believers. And I want to read to you uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 2. And this is kind of where we're, we're headed today. It says, remember today that you have what you have learned about the Lord through your experiences with him. Let me read that correctly without putting pauses in the wrong place. Remember today what you have learned about the Lord through your experiences with him. What I've been teaching for the last nine weeks basically boils down to this. You don't really grasp something until you do it. Head knowledge is not enough. You've got to put some things into practice. And what we've been looking at specifically is there are five reasons God has put you on the planet. There are five things that God wants you to do with your life while you're here at this time. It's not an accident that you're in Palestine, Texas. It's not an accident that you're here today. God wants you to do five things. And those five things, the five reasons you're alive are better when we do those five things with other people. So we're going to we're going to review today those five things. First reason you were born is to worship. This is on your listening guide. And that is to celebrate God. What we're going to talk about today is celebrating God. What we did in these songs where we were celebrating, people were clapping, some folks were raising their hands, we were having a good time. Um, when we, even when we showed you the funny video, you were laughing. We want worship to be a celebration. You're going to worship something. God wired you to worship, and so you're going to worship something. God says He wants you to worship Him, and He wants to do it. Um, he wants us to do it as a celebration. I try to worship God every day by myself. But you're also commanded, and that's a good thing, but you're also commanded by your Heavenly Father to get together to make a habit of worshiping with other believers. And we're going to talk about why uh, in just a minute. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, He said, "For Where two or three gather together because they are mine. I like this translation. This is the Living Bible translation. For where two or three gather together because they are mine, Jesus says, I will be right there among them. Corporate worship, according to Jesus, can happen anywhere there's more than one person. And and a lot of people think that the only time that they worship is at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And maybe that's true. And maybe that's why so many Christians are weak and failing at the Christian life. Because the only time they ever focus on God is at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. But God says you can worship anywhere that you have more than two people if the reason you're gathering is because of Him. God is with us all the time, we know that, but when two or three are gathered together because they belong to Jesus, there is just this special awareness of His presence. We can sense it better in a group. And it's like, I was thinking about this, when I've gone to youth camp, in fact, this last year, Janie and I went as cooks, and Jeff and Teresa went and helped us, we visited uh, one of the services, one of the youth services, and the band is just phenomenal, and the preaching is great, but when I saw my children raising their hands to God and worshiping, It melted my heart and drew me into the presence of God. Now, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes we come to church and life is just beating us down. And sometimes, and we don't do this at all. The the reason we raise hands and worship is not for anyone else to see us. The reason we clap is not so that somebody will think we're great or anything. The reason we do that is we're focusing in on our heavenly father and he's awesome. And we want to tell him he's awesome. But sometimes I am so focused on what's going on in my life. That it takes seeing you get focused on God to motivate me to get focused on God. And then together we're better. Does that make sense? When we come to worship, sometimes your worship helps me. Sometimes my worship helps you. 
And look at what the psalmist said in, in Psalm 68, 4. He said, our God, you are the one who rules, who rides on the clouds, and we praise you. Your name is the Lord, and we do what? We celebrate as we worship you. Worship should be fun. Worship is to be a festival, not a funeral. In the Old Testament, this is before Jesus came, the Old Testament, there were seven major festivals that were commanded by God that the children of Israel were expected to attend. And other than the Day of Atonement, which was a very serious day where you sacrificed for your sins and for the sins of the nation, that was a day of fasting and sacrifice, all of the other festivals, you were commanded to have a great time and remember what God had done for you individually and for the nation of Israel. It was a big deal. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of these services. Kind of kind of verbally uh, let me know this. Have you ever been in a worship service that felt like a funeral? Okay. You know what I'm talking about? The first church of the frigid air. You know, where like the ushers are the meanest people on the planet. And it's so cold in there, they skate up and down the aisles on ice skates looking for someone having a good time. Don't you smile in this service. This is solemn. Little kid having a good time. You need to get control of that kid. And, and you know, sometimes I question whether they've got a demon or something talking in that voice. And it's, it's as if we're afraid that the Holy Spirit might do something that we don't know about. And it's as if we're afraid that, that the Holy Spirit might take control. And we don't want that to happen. It's, it's what I call God's frozen chosen. You go in and it's like you're in the Antarctic and nobody's happy. God doesn't want that. Read the scripture. God is very clear we're supposed to celebrate when we worship. He wants it to be a, a, a festival, not, not a funeral. Now, have you ever wondered why God wants us to celebrate? I mentioned this in my prayer a while ago. Part of the reason is when we worship God, when we celebrate God, all of a sudden we see how big He is. One of the benefits of worship is it makes our problems shrink down to size. Because when we worship, it doesn't change God. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. And, and, and then there are times that it says that Jesus is standing, making intercession for us. God has not lost any of his power. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to his followers. But we take our eyes off of him and we put it on our problems. And our problems look huge and our God seems to be small. At least that's what it looks like to everybody else. Our God has not lost any of his power. Worship doesn't change God. Worship changes us. That's part of why God wants us to do it on a regular basis. And, and so when you begin to focus on God, your problems shrink down to size. And let me just tell you this. If you're having problems today, it's a sure sign that you need to worship. You need to spend some time in the presence of of a heavenly father who loves you and has all power. And worship is so much f more fun when we do it together, right? When you got a good band, it's, it's e easy to get caught up in worship when you got a band that, that leads us like these guys did today, right? I'll give them a hand. Come on. No stinking way did you just do the polite clap. This is y'all. If you like the word, okay, there we go. Don't do things halfway in this church, all right? Whatever you're going to do, do it all the way. All right, so the first reason you were put here on the planet, and the first reason that is better when we do it together, is worship, to celebrate God. Second is fellowship, to associate with God's family. 
to associate with God's family. Romans 12, 5 says, we are many parts of one body and we all, what's that next word? What's that next word? Belong. belong. We all belong to each other. So that means if you're a Christ follower, you're supposed to be attached to a church and your life does not belong to you. It belongs to your heavenly father, but it also belongs to other Christ followers. So I can't, my right hand can't say to me, dude, I'm going to take this Sunday off. I'm, I'm just kind of tired. I'm going to stay here. Y'all go on without me. Right? That seems ludicrous. But Christ followers do it all the time. I'm going to sit this one out. I, I don't need this one. That's probably when you need it the most. You belong with the family of God. And, and by the way, if you don't like this family, it's okay. But, but find a family that you do like. And associate with them on a regular basis. And by the way, if you can't stand your physical family, that's okay. That's why God gave you the spiritual family. Because some of us need new moms and dads. Some of us need new brothers and sisters. Some of us need new cousins. Cousins are so weird sometimes, right? That's why God... No testimonies. We do record this and it does go on the internet. Um... But the, because our physical families fail so much, that's why God gives us a spiritual family. And it's not perfect, but it can supplement your family and, and help you. Now, God wants us to be with the family. And uh, the reason, part of the reason is you need a spiritual family because you're going to go through some bad times. You need a spiritual family when you go through good times. You need it when you go through bad times. Because when, whenever something really good happens in your life and you share it with somebody who's close to you, it doubles the joy. Have you noticed that? You can't wait to call somebody, check this out, and they're celebrating with you. Woohoo! But when you share a hurt, it seems to cut the pain in half. When, when you call somebody and you go, hey man, this happened to me, and they go, oh no, dude, I'm so sorry, let's pray. And, and I remember the first time one of my friends prayed for me on the phone. It was kind of weird. I'm walking around talking on the phone and, and my buddy is praying. He's going, dear God, my brother is hurting. And, and it was one of the most cool prayers I'd ever heard on the phone. And so I've done that with some of you guys. When you've called me and life is just overwhelming, I've prayed with you on the phone because my heart was hurting and I wanted to share with you and help bear that burden. That's what the family of Christ is supposed to do. Back when I was in third grade, my family, well, actually just me and mom and dad, everybody else in my family was old enough that they didn't get, they didn't go on family vacation. So we lived in the panhandle of Texas and mom and dad and I, this was back in 1973, we get in this car and I think it was like a, I think it was a, uh, like a LTD, a Ford LTD. If y'all remember what those are, it's a land cruiser. It's a boat with wheels. We get in this thing and we drive from the panhandle of Texas. We drive all the way up to Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. Then we come down. Yeah, that's a long ways. Don't do that with a third grader. That's a long ways. And then we came down the West Coast. And one of my favorite parts of the trip was when we stopped at the Redwoods National Forest. Anybody ever been there? Oh, man, it is awesome. Uh, I got a couple of pictures. Here's, here's one of the things I remember. Put that first one up there, Mike, would you? Some of them are so big that you can drive. We drove our car through this tree. As a third grader, man, I was just amazed that we could take our boat, our land cruiser, and we could go through there. Couldn't open the doors. I tried, and, and there wasn't enough room. Um, but, but I'm looking up at this tree, and it's like four to 500 feet tall, and it's big enough we could drive through. And I was like, this is awesome. Because I grew up in the panhandle. In the panhandle, anything this tall is called a tree. If you have a deer stand, it just got to be four feet off the ground. You can see for miles. 
And these suckers were huge. There's another picture. Show the, the next one. These group of guys standing in front of it. We took pictures like this. And I remember walking around just, wow, that's a tree. You know, I've, I've, I've been impacted all these years ago. There's one more. Now, how many of you knew that the largest living thing on the planet, living thing, is a redwood tree? A lot of you knew that. Did you also know that redwoods have incredibly shallow roots? I didn't know that. Here's how they stand the storms, because they're out there on the West Coast. Stuff happens on the West Coast. Big storms come out there on the West Coast. Redwoods always grow in groves. You don't see a single redwood anywhere that grows to any height. They grow in groves and their roots intertwine. And actually, the stronger the storm, the stronger their roots get together and they actually hold one another up. That's how they get up to four to five hundred feet tall is because they support one another. That's what we want for our small groups at New Life. Because honestly, you can come here in this group. And you can be fed spiritually, but your hearts are not going to be intertwined with people in this worship service. You can worship in a crowd, but you can't fellowship in a crowd. You can't have your heart knit together with another human being in a crowd. That takes time. It takes effort. And it's got to happen outside of this service. We're supposed to worship together. We're going to do it every Sunday. But we're also supposed to spend time together in smaller groups. Look at the life of Jesus. It's exactly what he did. He had huge groups, fed 5,000 one time, fed 4,000 another time. But he spent the majority of his time with 12 or less. Sometimes even three. Because he knew the benefit of knitting our hearts together. So this is what we want. And, and if you, if you don't have anybody, if you don't have a small group, then I actually feel sorry for you. And this happens all the time in churches. Um, somebody will go into the hospital and we don't know about it until after, you know, two or three weeks later. If you have a small group, you know who the first people should be to, you, to come see you? Your small group. This has happened in this church that I've actually had people call me from small groups, call me and say, I'm on the way home from the hospital. Just thought you might want to know this person is there. So if you're not in a small group and you're not communicating with the church, with the body of Christ, what's going on in your life, don't get mad if nobody knows. How can we read your mind? Oh, oh, I, I feel that Chad has gone into the hospital. He's always sitting on the front, so I always use Chad. Chad is in the hospital. I must go there now. That's not how it works. You get involved in other people's lives. They know what's going on with you. And if you don't have a small group, this is, this is the truth. If you're a Christ follower and you're not involved in a small group, Satan has his crosshairs on you. And he will eat you alive. Because he's smarter than you are. He's stronger than you are. He's not all powerful, but he's more powerful than you. And what he does is he wants to get you away from the pack so that he can attack you and beat you down. And you look, you've seen people like this. You know people like this right now who are away from the body of Christ and they're suffering because they don't have anybody to carry their burdens with them. That's what God has designed church and small groups to do. And I know some of you are scared because you have been burned in the past by other churches. I am not at all saying we're perfect. In fact, we're the weirdest church in town. We wear that like a badge of honor because we're real. We know we have problems and we're going to admit we have problems and we're weird. You're weird too. Come join us. We can be even weirder if you'll come. Because one thing we said we're not going to do, we're not going to pretend. We're not going to put on our nice clothes and go to church. And when everybody says, how are you doing? We're going to go, fine. If I was any better, I'd be twins. What does that mean? 
We're not going to use these cliches. We, we even talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You, I, I told you, you have permission to say, how are you doing today? And, and then if they say, oh, I'm fine, you go, really? We're going to ask a second question. How are you really doing? Because we want to know. We care enough about you that we want to know what's going on on the inside. You do not want to face life alone. And, and it takes work because look what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. He says, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work. It's hard work. Relationships are hard work. Getting along with people at church is hard work. Getting along in our marriages is hard work. You better believe it is. But since when has anything worthwhile been easy? Any goal that a, that a baseball team, Texas Rangers, are working towards, they've had to work hard, right? And the teams that don't work hard, they don't make it to the playoffs. They don't make it to the World Series. Anything worthwhile is difficult. You only get the benefits of God's family if you make a choice and you decide to do the hard work of getting along together. But it's a choice you have to make. So we celebrate God. We associate with God's family. Third thing, it's not enough just to associate with God's family. We want to grow with God's family. And you don't grow by what you hear. Have you noticed that? When I was in high school, we would go to two-a-days, and I hated two-a-days. They just, they sucked. But we had to do it. If I was going to play, I had to go. And so one of the things we would do is we'd go and we would practice in the mornings. This was back before they gave you water breaks. You were a weenie if you went and, and had water. I'm surprised we didn't have guys falling over. So we had fat dudes, you know, and they couldn't run. And I'm surprised they didn't have heart attacks back then. But we would go, and then, instead of going home, we would go sit in a classroom. And, and it was funny because we had some stupid dudes on the, on the football team. I'm going to see some of them next year for our 30 year reunion. But we had some dudes that just weren't, weren't with it. And so we would have to diagram plays and we would have a classroom and they would talk to us about, you know, being men of integrity and, and being men and, and which was good. But then they would say, okay, now what happens on this play? And you'd see stupid guys going, oh no. And so our coaches would say, if you can't get it here, you're not going to get it on the practice field. And then as soon as we, some guy would click in, we would go out on the practice field and we would practice a play over and over and over again. In fact, we would practice it for 12 weeks until we were finished with our season. And I discovered that it takes repetition in order to get things right. And it's no different spiritually. You're going to have to take, uh, you're going to have to do some things over and over before you get it right. And, you know, I discovered that you don't grow your muscles by reading a book. I tried that one. It doesn't work. You could read every page while you're eating your Pringles and drinking your Coke. And those muscles don't magically form. There's not enough exercise lifting up the Pringles to your lips. You could, you could do what I have done in the past. You could eat a bowl of Bluebell ice cream while watching The Biggest Loser. This used to be my habit. I'm not kidding you. And I couldn't figure out why they're getting smaller and I'm getting bigger. That took me four or five seasons to figure that one out. I figured out that you grow by what you do. And the Bible, here's the thing. The Bible gives us a clue about when we can stop growing spiritually. And some of you want to know this. It's, it's in Scripture. It actually is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. This work, this work of growing spiritually, this work must continue until we are all joined together in the same faith and in the same knowledge of the Son of God. So, okay, we're supposed to, there's some things we're supposed to know. There's some things we're supposed to do. So we continue until we get there. But look what it says. 
We must become like a mature person, growing until we become like Christ and have His perfection. When you get to stop growing spiritually is when you are Jesus Christ. So when do you get to stop growing spiritually on this planet? You don't. So uh, we actually will never become um, perfect until we get to heaven. But, but Jesus wants us to get as far as we can on this planet. So this week I was listening to a radio show on TV, uh, TV on radio, and I was driving around town. And the, the folks in the studio... I don't know how they got on this because I was right. I caught right in the middle of it. They were actually grading one another on a scale of one to ten. And so they were like saying, well, what about him? What is he? And, and, and some girl would go, oh, he's about a seven. And, you know, some dude would go, seven? That's all I am is a seven. And, and another guy would go, seven, man, I'll take that. I thought I was a two, you know. And, and it was the funniest thing listening to them talk about whether they were a six or a seven or whether this girl was this. And then one guy actually was offended because he got the same uh, score as another dude in the studio. And obviously he thought he was better than that dude and he was offended. Anyway, now I don't want to know where you are physically because I don't care. I don't know what your, I don't want to know what your number is, but I want to know where you are spiritually, what your number is. Do we have any tens in the crowd? And by the way, 10 is Jesus Christ. So if you are as spiritually mature as Jesus Christ, let me see your hand. No one in a crowd this size. Guess what that means? You need to keep growing. You need a small group. And, and really, the further you need, the more you need to grow, the more problems you have, the more you need a small group to help you get there. God has designed us where you don't get spiritually mature by yourself. So if you're hiding out there somewhere and not plugging in, you will not be where Christ wants you to be. It's just that simple. And see, here's the thing. <laughs> if you Spiritual growth is a choice. So you are as spiritually mature right now as you have chosen to be. If you're a spiritual baby, it's because you have chosen to be a spiritual baby. If you're spiritually immature, it's because you have chosen to be spiritually immature. And your disobedience to your heavenly father is stunting your spiritual growth. But the really sad thing is... If you're not obedient to Christ, you're also stunting a fellow believer's spiritual growth because they need you to grow as well. So it's not just about you. It's also about other people in the body of Christ. So, all right, we celebrate and then we're supposed to associate with and we grow with. And then number four is ministry. Here's what you were put on the planet to do to demonstrate God's love. There's two things about serving that you need to know. You need to be served and you need to serve others. If you can't allow someone to serve you, you have a pride problem. If you never serve anyone else, you have a selfishness problem. You need both. I want to show you a couple of videos. And actually, guys, we'll just do these back to back. I told you differently. I'm going to show you two videos of what New Life has done in the last year. Last year, uh, almost exactly a year, next, next Sunday will be a year ago, we went into a neighborhood and we, we did a thing called Be the Church, where we went and we served as a church. And you're going to see pictures of that. We took the Sunday off. We went and we worked. Some of us worked from like 8 a.m. that morning until 6.30, 7 p.m. that night. I think we hauled 16 loads of trash over here to our, our uh, burn pile, which will never get to burn because we don't have rain. Um, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Someday we're going to have the bonfire of all bonfires, but not until it's legal. Um, 
But we hauled all of these 16-foot trailers of, of trash and brush and all that stuff because we just wanted to show people that we don't just stay inside the walls, we go and do something. And then one year ago, um, two weeks, from uh, we're two weeks short of, of one year anniversary when we went to Haiti. So they're going to show you two videos back to back. This is what New Life has participated in, and it's something that you can be a part of in the next year. So hit those guys. Can't wait to get back there. And in fact, there's a... Uh, Dwayne, I forgot to tell you this. Would you grab the, the white buckets out of my office? There are a few folks that that are uh, about 100 or maybe $150 short, and we're going to do a special offering at the back. And, and I'm just going to throw this out there. If if you uh, Everything that goes in the white buckets will go to help people finish paying off their Haiti trip. It's $1,550 per person. And so this has been a very difficult time raising money. Um, so we're just going to ask that and throw that out there and, and see what happens um, today. There's one more thing, the reason you were put on earth, and that is to, it's evangelism, it's to reach others for God. You're put on earth to celebrate God, associate with God's family, grow with God's family, demonstrate God's love, and reach others for God. Look at James 1.27, it says, Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight, and guard against corruption from this godless world. The test of Christianity is not what you know or what you say you believe. It's what you do and it's how you treat other people. When we started New Life, our goal was to reach people who were far, far from God and help them connect with God and with other people. And we knew we couldn't do church the same way we had always done church if we were going to reach people who were far from God. And so we started doing things a little bit differently. And, and then one of our key verses comes from Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call upon call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And the answer is they can't. People can't come to Christ if they've never heard. And you and I are supposed to take that message. Uh, next week, I'm going to have James show you a, a, a video about the camp, which is uh, the, the, the description is where restoration and healing begin. Um, November, the first weekend in November, there uh, will be some folks going to the camp, which is up in LaRue or just outside of LaRue, Texas. And Frank Menrith from, uh, used to be Menrith Meyer Clinics. He's going to be there. Uh, this is an incredible camp where folks who are hurting can go and where they will have at least three one-on-one, -on -one, uh, counseling sessions with professional counselors. The cost to send people is a hundred bucks. We ask people not to pay that. We ask our church to pay that. And so uh, we're going to show you some of that. And as it's coming up, if you know people who need to go, we want to send them because that can get them on the path to healing. So there's something that you can invite people to and, and you can say our church will even pay your way to go. Provide child care, um, provide all the meals. It starts on a Friday evening and ends on Sunday afternoon. And so uh, we want people to go do that. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to two weeks from today, I'm going to start a new series called Twisting the Truth. And we're going to be filming some stuff for that. We're going to have some silly, funny videos but the main point is there are four little lies that have impacted, that the enemy has, has planted in our society. Lies about um, authority, pain, sex, and sin that, that not only are destroying lives, destroying families, destroying marriages, but it's also destroying our society and destinies. 
where people will wind up in hell because they bought into these lies. And it's going to be a very friendly series for non-church people to come. So I want you to be listening over the next couple of weeks for people saying that they have, that, that they're struggling with something, maybe in the relationships or they don't understand things. Listen, because God's going to put people in front of you. Over these next two weeks, they're divine appointments, divine intersections where your life meets the life of someone who needs what we're trying to offer. And we are partnering with you as a church. You don't even have to tell them about Christ. Tell them about the church and we'll tell them about Christ and we'll apply God's word to their lives. And when people hear over and over how practical this book is and they start going, man, that thing makes sense. Well, there's a reason it makes sense. It's because it's God's word. Fifty years ago, you could hold this up and you could say it's God's word. And the reason it works is because it comes from God. You can't do that anymore because people say, which God is there? And so what we do is we proclaim the truth of God's word. We throw it out there and we say, this works. We just dare you to try it. And people come back all the time. They come back and they say, that works. Why does it work? And I say, because there is a God who loves you and he gave us the instruction manual. And when you do life his way, not only does your life get better, everybody's life around you gets better. It's incredible. So we're going to throw it out there over this four weeks, actually five weeks when we do this twisting the truth series. And we want you to bring as many people as possible. Because it may be that the God of the universe will insect their lives right, intersect, insect, intersect their lives right here on a Sunday morning and something incredible can happen and you can have a part in that. But if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss. You're going to miss that opportunity. And Satan's going to try to get you to miss. He's going to try to get other people to miss because he doesn't want people to hear the truth. And we're all about the truth around here. I'm, I'm actually very impressed that we have this kind of crowd after I preached on tithing last week. Um, I was curious all week. Last week, I challenged people to ask, are you robbing God? And, and the, 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 this is a yes or no question. Because according to what we read last week, and by the way, go get it. It's back there. You may not want to hear it, but it's truth. So get the, get the CD. But here's the question. Am I robbing God? And, and the yes or no answer is, if you're giving 10% of your income, you're not robbing God. If you're giving less than 10% of your income, you're robbing God. And there's a whole lot of stuff in there, information in there that you may need to hear so grab that CD when you're on the way out or you can go to our website. If you go to nlccp.com at the bottom right hand corner, there's the past five or six messages are always down there. So you can just click on that. Now, I want you to take your registration cards, if you would. And, and I want you to fill those out. And on the back, I want you to do something very quickly because I'm going over. Didn't mean to. I want you to list vertically down the, down the left side of your card. One, two, three, four, five. Just the numbers. One, two, three, four, five. Because I gave you five reasons that you're alive and five things that are better when you do that with other believers, when you do together. And I want you to grade yourself one to ten. Here, here they are. How committed are you to celebrating God every week? That, that combines how committed are you to being in church once a week? How committed are you to worshiping God every day? So ten is, man, I don't miss a day, I don't miss a Sunday. Nobody's a ten. I'm just going to tell you that. Don't put it on there. But I want you to say, 1 to 10, where are you? How committed are you to celebrating God? Number two, how committed are you to meeting with other believers? This is the associating with the family of God. How committed are you to hanging out with Christ followers? 1 to 10. The next one, number three, how committed are you to growing spiritually? You are as spiritually mature as you choose to be. So just be honest. How committed are you to serving each week? To demonstrating the love of God, 1 to 10. The last one is how... Well, actually, I'm going to have you put another one there. How committed are you to reaching out? And then at the bottom, put number 6. 
How committed are you to giving financially to the church? I don't think anybody here would go to a restaurant today after church, get served, get fed, and then skip the check. If you do, we have some police officers here that, that, I, that will follow you and, and help you understand how to pay the check. But a lot of people come to church week after week after week, expect to be fed, and then they skip the check. 